Good evening. Does anyone need a Bible before we begin? Hey, Mike, pay attention. We need a Bible here. Anyone else? Anyone else need a Bible? No one else. All right. We are in first. We're in First Samuel. First Samuel, chapter twenty-two. Okay, what announcements do we have? Talent show this Friday night over in the Fenway Room, just across the hall, uh, at seven o'clock. The talent show, and tonight is truly, truly the last opportunity to sign up for the men's retreat and meet any of you men who want to uh, sign up for that. Any other? Where is my microphone? Oh, it's down here. Wow. Should I make the announcements again? Well, you guys heard them. So chapter 22. First Samuel, before we begin, let's, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time together, and, and Lord, how we, uh, how we love to read your word, and particularly the life of David, Lord, and just how it was, it's such a foreshadowing of, of your son Jesus, and I just pray that we'd see that this evening. Lord, every single one of us in this room, I, I believe I can speak for everyone, Lord. We want to walk like Christ, want to be like Christ. And Lord, we, we really just look to you to just reveal to us what that life looks like, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would just draw us in uh, to your bosom this evening, Lord, that we would just know and understand more, a lot more about you this evening through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 1 Samuel 22. I'm just going to, we left off, I think, in verse 6, but I want to read the first few verses. Uh, it says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave at Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who, who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Then David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come here with you until I know what God will do for me. So he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Now the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold, depart. And go in the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. And so uh, last week we uh, were in chapter 21 and also uh, part of uh, uh, chapter 20. And what we have found here is that David is in the beginning of a very low season of his life. He uh, at one time was. obscure shepherd boy, and uh, the Lord goes and sends the prophet Samuel to anoint him. He's introduced to Israel. He defeats Goliath. There's just a tremendous victory. The women are singing for him in the streets. He's at the king's table. He's married to the king's uh, daughter. He, his best friend is the king's son. I mean, he had it made, and he was just riding on the crest of a wave. Uh, this wonderful life, and then just everything is turned upside down, and all of a sudden he finds himself uh, fleeing for his life and uh, thinking in his mind, "What did I do wrong?" In fact, uh, you know, some of the the calamity that we bring that comes into our life, we bring on ourselves because of our our sin, right? Uh, that was the case sometimes for David, but not this time. He had lived a righteous life. He had served the king. He had served the Lord. And all of a sudden, his life is a complete mess. Now, the natural reaction of many people uh, to this situation is, well, if God's not 
going to honor a righteous life, what's the point of following him? And, and actually, we see David begin to sort of live by that principle. And, and I'm so glad that God, uh, in his word, does not paint a false picture of uh, the Bible heroes. He, he paints them with warts and all. And so David really begins acting, he begins fleshing out, and so, uh, something that many of us know something about when calamity uh, comes on our life. First, he, he runs to the priest at Nob, Ahimelech, and uh, Ahimelech says, what are you doing here by yourself? You know, it's kind of odd to have Dick Cheney uh, uh, come to your doorstep with no one else. You know, what's he doing here all by himself? And, uh, and so... Uh, that's sort of what David had been. He was almost like the right-hand man of Saul. And he's showing up by himself. And at David lies to him. He lies to him and says, oh, I'm going about Saul's business. And uh, he actually gets, uh, he, he gets some bread from this priest. And, and then he, he's still so scared. What does he do? Uh, and this is what we do when we start fleshing out and living by our own strength. He goes to, of all places, Goliath's hometown of Gath. I mean, the last place in the world you want to go to after you've defeated the Philistine champion is to go to that champion's city. So, But he was thinking, this is what happens when we start thinking with our own sort of... We get out of God's will and we start thinking just with our own wisdom, with our own thoughts. Well, I can't stand Israel. Saul's going to kill me. I need to go to... Well, I should, guess I should just go to Gath. And he gets there and he finds himself before the king and uh, realizes, you know, if, if I don't act like a madman or something, uh, I am going to... This king is going to kill me. And so it says in verse 13, he's before the king. It says he changed his behavior. He pretended madness uh, before them and scratched on the doors and the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. Uh, next time you're feeling insecure about yourself, you can read this about uh, David here. And so, um, and, and, and the king goes, do I have enough problems that you bring this man before me? Get rid of him. And so uh, uh, David leaves and he escapes and he's living in a cave. And, and again, this is sometimes God has us in a season living in a cave. Uh, not a literal cave, but a, a cave where, you know, uh, things just seem... We seem so isolated and we seem so alone and, and, and the Lord will get us into this place. And it says, though, that everyone uh, who is in distress, in verse 2, chapter 22, everyone who is in debt, uh, everyone who is discontented gathered to him. And as we talked about last week, uh, here David's a foreshadowing of Jesus. And in verse 2, all these people in distress and in dis- discontent, they're, they're a, a foreshadowing, really, uh, the church, believers in Christ, people who have come to an end of themselves who come to the Lord, and um, sort of a, a foreshadowing um, of this. And then in verse 3, I, find, I found this, uh, this incredibly significant, this verse. He goes uh, to Moab to the king, and he says, Look, take care of my father and mother. It says, Until I know what God will do for me. What does that, what does that tell us? It means he now is waiting on the Lord. He, he realized that, you know, running around in his own strength is not a good idea, and it got him into a very, very dangerous place uh, there in Gath. And now he's, you're going to see, uh, and this is how a lot of times the Lord, he's patient with us, he deals with us. Uh, little by little, he starts to um, draw us back and get us to the place where we're thinking spiritually and not carnally, where we're living by faith and not by sight. We're willing to wait on the Lord. So many seasons of our life is really about waiting on Him. Uh, and there, it, there may not be any kind of obvious revelation uh, from Him, but we need to wait on Him uh, and be patient. And then it says in, in verse 6, it says, When Saul heard uh, that David and the men who were with him had been discovered... And now Saul, staying in Gibeah under a tamarisk tree in Ramah, he was with his spear in his hand and all his servants standing about him. So what a picture. Saul with his spear in his hand, you know, like this. And, and what does he do with this spear? What does Saul do with his spear? He throws it at people. Remember, he threw it at David. He threw it at Jonathan. And, uh, it, and this it got to the point where this is the kind of leadership uh, that uh, he 
he offered to people. And when you picture David, by the way, what do you picture in his hand? Picture what? Slingshot. How about a harp? A harp. A guitar. A, a guitar. Now, he didn't have a, a guitar. He had a harp. And, and he used to play the harp. And, 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 and really, that, that is a tremendous contrast uh, between you have one kind of leadership here, a guy leading with his spear, and another guy here who led with his harp. And, and, and again, that should be an example to us. We have such an opportunity to bring the presence of God into a situation. And, and, you know, we have two choices. Do we bring in the spear or do we bring in the harp? The harp. The harp, that's right. Very good, Craig, the harp. And so, yeah. Uh, he, he also did have Goliath's sword, but, but Goliath's sword he was carrying for combat and, and not as much... Um, you know, here you see uh, that, that Saul, he's standing amongst his own people who were supposed to, to follow him, and he had his spear. And, and, and uh, that's some, you're in big trouble when you have to carry a spear when you're with your own followers, uh, whereas David... Th- th- that's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and and so. And the harp is an instrument used to play music. That that's right, Craig. Actually, this is a time for me to talk. Okay, so you just you just hold your peace now. And and so, um, but the the harp was a time was something that with you know David didn't carry his Goliath's sword when he was with his own followers. He carried his the his harp, and so. Um, that really should be a demonstration to, to us uh, of how we do leadership. And, and think about it, you know, who... Uh, well, actually, let's go on in verse 7 and 8 here. It says, Then Saul uh, said to his servants and stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you uh, fields, vineyards, and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? And all of you have conspired against me, and there is no one who reveals to me that my son has made a covenant with the son of Jesse, and there is not one of you who is sorry for me or reveals to me that my son has stirred up my servants against me to lie in wait as it is this day. So, again, you see this kind of leadership. Either, either he has his spear in his hand or else he's basically bribing him. And this is the leadership of the world, right? It's like, you know, what, how can you buy people off? You know, it's such a, such a worldly way. You know, I'll, I'll make you captains of hundreds. I'll make you captains of thousands. And, and, and whereas David's leadership, uh, it, it really was people observing that he had the hand of God on his life. And we read last week that in Psalm uh, 34, uh, which was written while he was in this cave, and, and it was just uh, David, uh, a picture of him crying out to the Lord. And so, uh, I, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of leader that I want to follow. It's the leader that I observe walking with God and, and talking about God and crying out to God, not the guy with a spear in his hand who is basically you know, trying to bribe me and, 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 and give me more and more money or... or, or or, uh, or something like that to make me follow him. And so uh, in verse 9, it says, Then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul. And he said, I saw the son of Jesse going to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him and, and, and gave him provisions and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And, and so remember this guy Doeg, he had been observing the priest at Nob and how the, 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 the priest uh, had given David uh, the bread. And, and remember what we talked about last week, it, even as Doeg, even as David is sort of a foreshadowing of, of Christ, in the Old Testament we actually see for, foreshadowings or even types of the enemy Satan. And so the, the, the picture of, of Satan just always watching us, ready to accuse here. And, and here he is in verse 9. Notice how he, he lies to Saul. And, and what was the lie that he, he said to Saul? Well, he said, I saw the son of Jesse, and he inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath. 
the, uh, the Philistine. Well, there's, this is the worst thing about, you know, about the si- lies of Satan. This is, this is the worst thing. Um, uh, this is really how warfare happens and, and how Satan works. Is he will mix the truth up with lies. Uh, David never inquired of the Lord. Now, when it says, when it says here that um, Doeg is saying, oh, yeah, I saw him inquiring of the Lord, that was a pretty heavy thing. That was more than just, hey, can you say a prayer for me? That was basically what he was meaning to say there is he asked the high priest to go to take his ephod and, you know, use the umen and the thumen. Remember that in the, in the book of, of, of Exodus? And to really inquire almost like David was king or something. And so, and, and this is what is really so damaging often um, about sort of how Satan uh, wields his way. He, he mixes truth in uh, with a lie, and it was the truth uh, uh, that did uh, so much damage uh, here. It says uh, in verse 11, So the king sent to Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were in Nob, and they all came to the king. In verse 12 it says, uh, And here now, son of Ahitub, he answered, Here I am, my lord. Then Saul, Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword, and have inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Verse 14. So Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law, who goes at your bidding and is honorable in your house? Did I then begin to inquire of the God for him? Far be it from me. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to any in the house of my father, for your servant knew nothing of all of this, little or much. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. So really interesting here what Ahimelech did, this priest. By the, he's obviously figured out with Saul showing up with a bunch of troops, he's obviously figured out, you know, David is no longer in favor with the king. And not only that, he's, I'm sure he's figured out, David lied to me. Because what did David say? What did da- had David said to uh, Ahimelech? He said, when Ahimelech said, what are you doing here all by yourself? He says, well, I'm on Saul's business. Well, I think Ahimelech had figured out by now, actually, I'm sure David was not on Saul's business. Saul apparently was chasing him. And, and yet, look at what he does here. He, he has every opportunity to, to basically say, well, you know, David lied to me and start accusing David. Instead, what does he say there in verse 14? He says, who among all your servants is as faithful as David? So instead of accusing him, he builds him up. And the next thing he says is, he's your son-in-law. So he, he's actually reminding Saul that he's his son-in-law. And then he says, and, and he goes out and does your bidding. In other words, he, David serves you, Saul. And then, and, and then he says, and he is honorable in your house. And in other words, he doesn't do anything, to, he's done nothing to dishonor you, Saul. And so, uh, you know, this is such an important principle. When we hear something bad about another Christian believer, what do we do? Even if it's true, do we pile on with the, you know, with the media or the world or, or whatever? Do we just add fuel to the fire? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know we did that. and Isn't that a horrible representation of who God is? Or do we build them up as, as uh, David does here, um, or as Ahimelech does here uh, with David? So, an incredible act of faith by this, this high priest, this man Ahimelech. He actually builds him up. And then he just tells the, him the truth in, in verse 15. I, I didn't inquire of the God for him. I, didn't, I don't know anything what you're talking about, a little or much. And so... Uh, Anyway, uh, it, let's go on in, in verse 17. It says, Then the king said to the guards who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not tell it to me. It says, But the servants of the king would not lift their hands to strike the priests 
of the Lord. And so, remember, this is the second time that Saul's soldiers refused to do what he asked them to do. The first was with Jonathan, his son Jonathan. Remember, uh, Jonathan ate honey on a day where uh, Saul said, anyone who eats anything is supposed to die. Well, his soldiers refused to... uh, uh, his soldiers refused to, to, to kill him. And here it is again. They refused to kill these uh, high priests. Uh, but uh, good old Doeg, if, uh, if you could ever call him uh, good, verse 18, it says, that, well, he turns to Doeg and says, well, you turn and kill the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck the priests and killed on that day 85 men who wore a linen ephod. Also Nob, the city of the priests, he struck with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and nursing infants, oxen and donkeys and sheep with the edge of the sword. Now one of the sons of Himelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the Lord's priests. So David said to Abiathar, I knew that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have caused the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me, do not fear, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, but, he, but with me you shall be safe. So this guy Doeg, a pretty evil guy, goes not only kills the priests, uh, were there 70 of them, he actually kills all their families, even the nursing babies. Killed all the oxen, which probably means he stole them. Uh, and kills all of them. But verse 21, we see Abiathar, uh, uh, who was saved. It's interesting that God always preserves a remnant. Always preserves a remnant. Anytime throughout history, God's always had a remnant of believers. An interesting thing, by the way, about the Jehovah's Witness, uh, Witnesses, uh, that they, you know, they came up in the late uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, with this crazy belief that Jesus is not God, and among many, many other things, and they just have this belief that the church apostatized for like 1500 years. There was no remnant. No one knew the truth. No one knew it was going on. But all of a sudden, one of them, one of their forefathers of the Jehovah's Witness, all of a sudden got this idea, and, and you know, the truth was introduced. It's nonsense. There's, there's always been a remnant of God's people, always. God's always kept a remnant through, through many of the dark days in the Middle Ages when there was uh, very, very little of the truth uh, being declared. God's always had a remnant. So he has a remnant here in Ab- Abiathar. And uh, Abiathar brought his, the ephod, which was a very significant thing. Uh, we'll learn a little bit more about that. But it says in verse uh, 22 there, again, uh, David said to him, you know, I've caused the death of all the people in your father's house. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, the Apostle Paul says, we live by faith and not by sight. And so what David's beginning to learn here is the consequences of living by sight. And, and again, what do I mean by that? We talked about it earlier. Well, he thought if he told the truth to Ahimelech that he wouldn't get any food and he'd starve to death. So he lied. That's living by sight. That's not living by faith. Living by faith is living by God's word no matter what the consequences are. Again, he thought if he stayed in Israel, he'd not, he wouldn't stay alive. So what did he do? Uh, he went to, out of Israel. He went to uh, the Philistines. Made all the sense in the world, but he was living by sight. Wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. He thought if he acted normal in, in front of the king of Gath, he, the king of Gath would kill him. It makes sense. But that's not what God wanted him to do. And so the problem is, is that all those things were disobedient to God's word. And as always the case, our disobedience affects the lives of the people who surround us. And sometimes it can even mean their death. And so David is, is finding out in a very serious way that he, if he lives by sight, it's going to mean that people are going to die. So all these, think about it. Um, you know, all the, this is the, an entire... Uh, city who was who was killed because really because David lied to the high priest um, uh, to the high priest uh, Ahimelech and 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 you know this goes for you and me too there are people who surround us in our lives who if they don't see Christ in our life if they don't see Jesus in your life they're not going to see him at all 
They're not going to see him at all. And, you know, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on, on you. And I'm just saying that if you are going to give in to fear and cover up your life with Christ, it could mean death, eternal death to another person. God has us as a light in the world. And, and so uh, we need to understand that there's consequences to living by sight and not by faith. What does David do? Well, he confesses his guilt and failure before God. And I, I think it's so important to understand he doesn't wallow in condemnation and, and guilt. Now, you know, being in ministry, if there's one thing I see over and over again. It's people showing up at church and they've made such horrible choices in their life, and some of which have involved also killing other human beings, and, and they wallow in so much condemnation and guilt, they, they can't move on and become the person that God wants them to be. Now, I'm, I'd hate to think of what would happen to many people if they did what David did because of their lie. Not only 70 priests were killed, all their families and even the nursing children were killed. And I'd hate to think, you know, what some of the people uh, would do who, who, who even come into this church and, and they are in condemnation and totally on the shelf because of something infinitely less than that. But the forgiveness of God, uh, His tender mercies, the grace of God are, are abounding and, and there is forgiveness. And so what does he do? He simply recognizes what he uh, did was wrong. And he uh, also, what, the next thing he does is he, he makes things right. He, he basically brings this guy, Abiathar, into his, his, his camp here. And then he just moves on with the Lord. How important is that in the Christian life? So then in, in chapter 23, it says, Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against uh, Kyla, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kyla. So it's interesting here that though it was not true before, David had never gone to the high priest to uh, inquire of him when he was a knob. He starts to do it now because what? He has the ephod. Now, the ephod, we learn from Exodus 28, was a sacred garment of gold and blue and purple and scarlet fine linen. It was sort of a vestment that went, went down like this. On top of each shoulder was an onyx stone engraved with the six tribes of Israel on each side, so a total of 12. And um, it would the, the high priest would put it on when people came to just inquire of, uh, of the Lord. And this is just a tremendous development in David because, again, it tells us uh, that he's starting to seek the Lord. You know, the last couple chapters when he's running around like a madman, you didn't hear anything about David asking anything of God. You didn't hear about him inquiring of the Lord. And what, what, and what was the result? Just absolute chaos. And, and, and so here, there's a real different sense. All of a sudden, you see him... Him, him waiting on the Lord and, 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 and asking God, even in a situation that appeared to be obvious. I mean, the Philistines were attacking these people. It says in verse 1 there, it says that uh, they're robbing the, th uh, the threshing floors. In other words, what was going on is that the Israelites went through a whole season planting, seeding, and watering uh, you know, tending to the harvest and then bringing it in, bring it to the threshing, threshing floors. And then just like the Midianites in the time of Gideon, uh, the Philistine would, would come in and just take everything that the Philistine, that the Israelites had. And so, uh, and so it would seem so obvious. I mean, why do you even have to go to God and ask him something like this? I mean, isn't it obvious that, that God's going to want David to go and save this city? And, and, and so, but no, David goes and he inquires anyway. And there is an important principle uh, there. And that is, uh, you know, so many times uh, we, so many times we think that if there's a need there staring us in the face, God always wants to meet it. But that's not the case. 
It wasn't the case here. And even, what did Jesus say? He, he, said, uh, he said, you know, in the time of Elisha the prophet, there were many lepers, but, he didn't, but Elisha didn't heal one of them except a Syrian, Naaman. And so, you know, even though there, there were many lepers at that time, for whatever reason, we, you know, we don't know why uh, Elisha didn't heal him, even though the need was there. And, 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 and you know, this is, this is why it's so important to go to the Lord, regardless of what's in front of us, because there, there may be something that just looks obvious. Of course we need to, to help out here, or, or, or uh, of course we need to do this uh, or do that. I remember in, in Miami, at our church there, uh, the... Um, the, uh, in South Beach, and there was just a, a tremendous uh, amount of the population that had HIV positive. And, and we said, well, obviously, we're supposed to start a, a ministry to, to AIDS people. And, and you know, we, we tried to start one up several times, and we, we finally realized we were just running ahead of God. We'd never really asked him, are you, are you in this, Lord? <laughs> and, 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 you know, one, one of the principles there is that God can handle things without us. You know, sometimes the Lord wants to take care of things and he wants us to, to, to stay uh, out of the way. Another great example, by the way, of sort of the flip side is in Matthew 26 where you have the, the immoral woman uh, anointing Jesus with spikenard and it's worth something like, you know, anointing him with, uh, with, with oil, uh, perfumed oil. Some people think it was worth $10,000 which she was doing a with a whole pound of spikenard, she was anointing Jesus. And all the disciples said, well, come on, I mean, what's up with this? You need to sell this and give it to the poor. Why are you wasting it? And what did Jesus say? He said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? The poor you will have with you always. You won't always have me. And so uh, many times, just because there's a need out there, it may not be the highest priority that God has for you in your life. And so God may want to do uh, something else than responding to the need that is pounding at the door. But uh, anyway, so David goes and he inquires of the Lord any, anyway uh, in verse 2 there. But then in verse 3 it says, But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? So they're sort of saying, look, Saul is chasing after us and he's about to kill us. Why are you, why are you sending us to defend one of the cities of, uh, of Judah? And, so, and, and, then, and then it was just a great picture. Again, a, this great development in David's life. What does he do? He goes to the Lord again. It says, then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And so he had heard once, but then there was opposition, so he just went right back, uh, heard the same thing, and so he, uh, you know, he got his answer from, from the Lord. Now, in, in the breastplate, uh, there's a breastplate that was on top of the ephod that the high priest wore, and there was a, a, a leather pouch there, which in it were the, the Urim and the Thurim, and we read about this in, 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 in Exodus, and there were two stones, and no one knows exactly uh, what they were. Some people think that they were made out of sort of a, a diamond type of thing, and, and, and when, the, when the diamond dimmed, the answer was, uh, was no. If it brightened, the answer was yes, and, and uh, you know, some people say, well, gee whiz, I wish I had something like that today. I'd be going to that thing all the time, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, really, we have something better. The Bible says that if we've asked Jesus into our life, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can know what God's holy and perfect and acceptable will is for your life. And, and, and in a very real way, we have something that's even better than the Urum and the Thummim. The problem is, is you know, we, sometimes we get frustrated and say, I don't, I just, I'm so confused, I don't know what God wants me to do in this situation. Well, a lot of times it's because we're, we're not hearing what we want to hear. What we're hearing, for example, we're hearing weight. 
or we're hearing no, and we're calling, we're calling it confusion. It's not confusion at all. It's an answer, but we, we don't like uh, the answer. Uh, and, and so anyway, uh, it goes, David inquires of the Lord. He hears of the Lord, and it says there uh, in verse 4, he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go to Kilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Verse 5, it says, And David and his men went to Kilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. He saved the inhabitants of Kilah. Psalm 31, many people think that he wrote, David wrote Psalm 31 uh, at this season of his life, and in there it says, David says, Blessed be the Lord because he has showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. And so here David sees the hand of the Lord in the middle of an incredibly difficult time of his life. And, and you know, sometimes we're on this road that's a really, really tough road, David actually was in the season for 10 years, a very, very difficult time uh, in his life. And we'll be in a season like that too. And, and you know something? God knows that our frame is made out of dust and that sometimes we need a victory like that. And this victory couldn't have come at a better time for David. He needed to see the hand of the Lord because uh, from his perspective, he hadn't been seeing much of sort of the obvious hand of the Lord. He had been running around, and there's chaos, and, and Saul's trying to kill him, and, and uh, he needed to see the hand of the Lord. So just a, a, such a, a timely thing uh, that happens to David, and God always just bring, comes to us at the perfect time, if we're willing to wait, uh, the perfect time to show um, us, yes, I'm still involved in your life. I'm still there. I'm still working. You're still a child of God. You're still a daughter, a, a son of, of mine. And I'm here. I'm here to provide victory uh, in your life. And, uh, and, and so uh, it says that, uh, that uh, David saved the hand, the inhabitants of Kilah. Verse 6, it says, Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, uh, fled to David at Kilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand, and Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. So Saul's thinking, oh, this, that's great. I got him now. He's in the middle of this fortified city. There's no way he's going to be able to get out. I'm just going to wait there until I get him. And then in verse 9, it says, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said uh, to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Verse 10, then David says, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant, and the Lord said, he will come down. So, interesting development here. Uh, first, the Lord, first, the Lord delivers this, uh, the Philistines from this, this city, and he uses David to save this city. And then David hears that Saul is coming to this city, and the first thing he's thinking of is, are these people going to stay with me? Or, or are they just going to give me over to Saul. And, and so he, it's interesting, he didn't go to them. He didn't go to the people of Kilah and say, hey, so you guys going to stick with me now? I mean, look what I just did for you. Instead, he goes to the Lord. And it's so much better to trust in the Lord in this situation because, let me tell you, you know, in, in, in the, the people of Kilah, they probably were an emotional high after after David had just given them this great victory, they probably would have said, oh, sure, yeah, we'll stick with you. We'll stick with you. But as Saul approached that city with his army, what, what types of things would be on their mind? Oh, remember what Saul did to the city of Nob? Killed every single one of them, even down to the, the nursing babies. And fear, you know, fear was going to grip them. 
So the Lord says, no, these people are going to give you into Saul's hands. You need to get out of here, David. And, you know, we're talking this morning about how much God loves us. Isn't it amazing how much God loves his children? He actually cared so much about this city in Israel, Kila, even though they were a bunch of spineless people. Spineless. You know, David had just saved them. He had saved their lives. He had, he had risked his life for them. And yet, in a flash, they were going to just hand them over to Saul. And, and, and yet, God loved them enough to come anyway and, and use David to save them. So and, and, and David uh, moves. Uh, he does move on here. Interesting, without a single trace of bitterness. There's no, there's no trace here or evidence that he was like, I can't believe these people. After everything I did, look at what they did to me. You know, there's a, a verse in Colossians uh, chapter 3 that we uh, hear a lot about. We, it's often quoted. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so, you know, we quote that a lot, but what does it mean? Well, it means to serve people, serve your boss, serve your family, serve your friends, expecting nothing in return with just one motive, that God wants you to do that. And, you know, whenever, you know, this is David's learning here, a principle, really, of, of, of leadership, of godly leadership. And, and any of you who are, are, who are, you know, interested in serving the Lord and going on with the Lord, you're going to have to remember this. You're not going to get a patent on the back at the end of the day from people. Oftentimes, people will turn against you. Can I take responsibility? Craig, we need to... Before, I don't want you to say anything else. If you have any questions, we'll talk after, okay? Is that okay? Can we agree to that? Okay, now's not the time for you guys to talk. It's time for me to talk. Are we okay with that? Okay. And, and, so, uh, it, it, and so if there's bitterness in our heart, if, if we're not being appreciated, if, if we serve something, whether it's our boss, whether it's our friends or family, if it's something at church, and we find ourselves upset or bitter in any way, guess what it means? It means that we went into that service with the wrong motive. That's what it means. You know, I, I, you know I've had, I had a boss once who, you know, I, it didn't matter how much I wor- uh, worked for this guy, it, how many overtime hours, how good I did, I could have done the best job on the face of the earth. He wasn't going to pat me on the back for a single thing I did. And, you know, it would have been so easy to say, you know, I'm just going to put in nine to five and just the bare minimum. But guess what? If I did that, I wouldn't be serving the Lord. And what does Colossians 3 say? It says, in everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. And so I went into work. I would work overtime when need be. I'd, 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 I'd do everything uh, that I thought that the company needed me to do in that situation. Same is true in ministry. The same is true uh, with our friends and with our family. You know, with kids, it's, this, is, this, is, uh, this is so important a lesson. You know, if, if you're a parent, you are not going to, to you know, be, see the benefits in the short term. You know, people know this from kids' ministry, right? The kids, if you teach adults, oftentimes you will get a pat on the back after the service. Well, the Sunday school kids aren't lining up after Sunday school and say, oh, I really appreciated that lesson today. You know, They're not saying that. And, and so that's why it's such a good training ground. Anyone who wants to teach in our church, uh, who wants to get up here and teach a lesson, has to first, we want to first see that they have the humility to teach kids. We want to see that they're really servants and they have the right... Uh, the, uh, the, the right motive. And so don't see a, a trace of, of uh, bitterness uh, in David. He just simply, what does he do? He simply just goes on and continues uh, what uh, the Lord wants him uh, to do. Um, I was uh, visiting Buddy 
uh, in the hospital. And I do want to pray for, for Buddy tonight. We've been told by the doctors he's just probably a few days away from, from dying. And so I want to pray from him, for him. And it has been very encouraging visiting him because, you know, you're talking about a guy who he was a drunk for 40 years. And uh, 40 years. How long was he uh, an alcoholic, basically, Peter? So about 40, 40 years as an alcoholic, became very well known as an alcoholic in the community uh, and showed up to church here a couple years ago and just sat in the back of the church and, and uh, after a few months I went up and tried to talk with him, so what do you think about uh, the sermons and stuff? And it was like he saw a ghost, it was like, don't talk to me about religion, he did, you know, he, uh, it was clear that he wasn't comfortable talking about the Lord or anything, but about a year after he, he was here, uh, Pastor Tony Marinelli from Calvary Chapel of Cape Cod came and did a study in the book of Revelation, and uh, it really pierced his heart, and he came up to me and he said, wow, I, I need to talk about uh, this, and uh, you know, uh, I need to talk about, uh, about God, and, and what, do, what do I need to do to become a Christian? And, and I explained to him how to be born again, and uh, how to receive Jesus in his life. And I said, I tell you what, buddy, I'm going on vacation for two weeks. You think about this and come back. Uh, when I come back, we can, if you want to, we can pray. And he went out into the cafeteria, food court out there, and I was in counseling someone else, and he came right back in. He says, I want to wait two weeks. I want to do it now. <laughs> and, and, and so uh, he asked Jesus in his life, and it was just really cool because uh, he... he uh, from time to time, he would come up to me and say, you know, I, I, I really, I never thought about that passage the way you taught today. And you got to understand, a guy like that, that was huge, saying something like that. Huge! I, I, to, to, to go up and discuss something spiritual was like uh, a, a tremendous milestone for, for this guy. And uh, uh, anyway, he, his, the church really was his life. I mean, he, he, he was here every single Sunday and... Uh, it was just such an encouragement, and I do want to pray, pray for him, but uh, when I was at the hospital, it was great because I was talking to him, and he just doesn't have any, ha- have any fear of dying. He doesn't. And, and I was thinking to myself, what a different picture it would have been if, if you take away the last two years of his life and what happened, and so many people just grasping on for, for life, and he's ready to go, so, so we need to pray for him, but one of the things I was thinking in the hospital is that uh, being a nurse, being a nurse in the hospital is, is such good preparation for ministry. That's why we've gotten Kirk. We've gotten Kirk. We deliberately forced him to become a nurse because we wanted to prepare him for ministry uh, because really, 80% of the people there, they're miserable. And, you know, and, and what, what do they take their misery out on? Well, the nurses. Actually, not Buddy. Buddy was treating the nurses great. Uh, but uh, they, all, they said, oh, he's so cute. Go talk with him. They, they, they loved uh, Buddy. But, uh, but nurses oftentimes, and, and think about how I've met so many bitter nurses. They're just hardened and bitter. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever met nurses like that. And it's just from people just just. For years and years and years, their heart is hardening because people are treating them. What a great preparation place for, for, to be a Christian, you know what I mean? It's like it, you've got to be serving for one reason, because God wants you there. And, and, and so um, I think this is an incredibly great lesson uh, here, David, just going in, risking his life, and then leaving with the people basically backstabbing the guy, and yet no bitterness uh, in his life. Just a, a, a tremendous uh, lesson there. Okay, I think uh, I do want to close there. and We will uh, come back in about 10 minutes to pray. If any of you are interested in praying, uh, let's pray for, for that. Let's pray for Buddy. I also want to pray for our friend Benjamin, who's in prison right now uh, in Plymouth. And some of the guys have been going and visiting him, and, and he completely recognizes that he needs to be right where he is, and he's really focused on the Lord. I want to pray that he continues just focusing on the Lord. If anyone's interested in visiting him, please talk to Jose. Uh, I also want to pray for... There was one of the uh, one of the things. Um, Would you like to pray? Um, buddy, um, I'm worried about... 
about Buddy. Um, what's wrong with them? Buddy has 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 a lung problem which prohibits him from from breathing, and so. But you know, we're not worried about him at all, Craig. You know why? he's going to heaven and he knows that's where he's going to go because Jesus is in his life and so really there's nothing to worry about and when I say pray for him he doesn't want prayer for healing he just wants prayer we're just praying for comfort so he can just go on he can pass from this life to the next to the next I life hope, I hope Buddy um, gets prayed it gets better. I hope in heaven they take care of him well, that's right. Well, heaven is a place where, where he will take on a, a, a new body and, and he will be, he'll be blessed there. So, um, How come Benjamin's in prison in Plymouth? Well, because Benjamin's in prison in Plymouth because he messed up really bad. How did he mess up? Well, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, but, 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 Craig, it's a good question, though, because... Even Benjamin realizes, but here you have, these are, this is what it's like to be a Christian. Here you have a guy who's going to die. Most people would be fearful, and he's not fearful. He's, he's ready to die. And then you have a guy in prison, and most people would say, I, I want to get out of here. I don't belong here. Benjamin's about 50. Where does he live? Right now he lives in prison. And, and, and he, he, lived, he lived in Jamaica Plain. So, so anyway, we can, Craig, we can talk about him after, okay? Because, uh, but, but I do want to pray for both of them, Benjamin and Buddy. That's the bo- Please help Benjamin turn himself around and help him get out someday. Okay, and actually, Craig, what we're going to do, we're going to gather together in about 10 minutes and, and pray for him, but we're not going to pray for him right now, okay? Okay, so, so Benjamin and Buddy, and, uh, and let's also pray for... How about the Vandercodes in Peru? They're, they are supposed to have their first service uh, in their new building within the next couple of weeks, and they're working on it right now, and they're very excited about that, so let's pray for them uh, as well. When we come back in 10 minutes, if you need to go home now, though, uh, that is fine. God bless you. Good night.